Amen. Amen. Titus chapter 3. We're going to finish up our study in the book of Titus this morning. While you're turning there, here's what Titus has been about. Jesus said, I call my own sheep by name and they hear my voice and follow me. That's why the song we just sang, we've been singing for the last couple of weeks, because it really reminds us of what the book of Titus is all about. And that is this, that if we're going to send out a clear, strong, positive signal of who God is through our lives, we've got to receive a strong and clear signal from God ourselves. We can't send out something that we're not receiving. We talked about that as far as illustrating it through modern technology. We live in a world where we're all about, especially with our cell phones and whatnot, that we're always making sure that we're able to receive a strong and clear signal so that we can get messages from others and that we're in a place where we can send messages strong and clear to others. And that's what the book of Titus is about. God wants us to hear his voice strong and clear so that in turn then we can send out a strong, clear, positive signal to others about God. And so that's why Paul said to Titus in chapter 1, I want you to go to the island of Crete, an island that is in desperate need of a strong, clear signal about who God is. And I want you to begin to plant churches on that island. And out of those churches, I want those churches to be led by people who are receiving a strong, clear signal from God so that they can send out a strong, clear signal to the people who come to that church and are part of that church so that that island of Crete can be transformed through a strong, clear signal that God is sending out through his people. So today, as we wrap up our study of Titus and we come to chapter 3, There's three primary things I want you to see in this chapter. There is a passion. There's a partnership. And there's also a plan that God has in all of this. I want you to first see the passion. And the passion primarily I'm talking about today that God wants us to truly receive strong and clear is the passion that God has for you and I. The passion that God has for people. He wants you to leave here today, if like never before, that you understand your great value and worth and significance to God. For notice what Paul tells Titus, beginning in verse 3. Of chapter 3. He says, We too were once foolish, disobedient, misled, enslaved to various passions and desires, spending our lives in evil and envy, hateful and hating one another. First of all, I want you to notice the word once, because Paul is reminding Titus that one of the things God wants to send out strong and clear is that. In spite of where we are and maybe what misery and pain we're in, that can all change through a personal relationship with God. God changes lives. God transforms lives. And when people truly get a strong, clear signal of who God is and how he cares about them and how he loves them, what they once were, they're never the same. Their lives are different and they are transformed by the love of God. 
Even though, as he describes in verse 3, they have been, first of all, foolish. The word means unthinking, disobedient, non-compliant, misled. They were wandering and roaming, enslaved. It means they were ready to give up and give in because what had a hold of them and what was gripping them was stronger than what they could deal with, and they had no answers for it. Then he goes on to say they spent their lives literally passively passing through life, injuring and hurting each other in evil and envy, hateful, totally unpleasant, totally unfulfilled, totally unsatisfied. And they took all of that and they hurt others because they weren't well themselves. And Paul's saying, we were once like that. But the key word is once. It shows that God can change all that. God can fulfill us. God can satisfy us. God can help us to overcome whatever is destroying us and and maybe even destroying others around us. God is the difference maker here. And that's what we need to hear loud and clear. That's why he goes on to say, but when the kindness of God our Savior And his love for mankind appeared. The word appeared means to become clear. In other words, it's not just that it's visible to us, but it becomes clear to us. Has God's love for you today, my friend, become clear to you? Do you really grasp and have you received and have you accepted God's love for you and that He went through all of this and that his love notice was extended to you and I and others before we ever became one of his children and believed in him. It was while we were misled. It was while we were disobedient. It was while we were hateful and hating each other. That's when God's love was evident too. It wasn't like he started loving us when we got our act together. That's not the way it works because we can't change ourselves. God says, I want you to come to me in all of your pain, in all of your misery, in all of your brokenness, in all of your unfulfillment and unsatisfaction. And I want you to bring it to me at the foot of the cross. And I want you to be transformed and changed by my love for you. Has that become clear to you, my friend? Because we can't send out a strong and clear signal of who God is and how he operates in our life if we've never truly received God's love for us. And there are many who, when they hear about this kind of love, And know that even as Paul says in other places, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That we go, I I, I don't deserve that kind of love. Do you know that many people, the reason why they push God's love and even other people's love away from them is because they won't receive love that they don't think they deserve? You, you and I only accept the love that we think we deserve many times. And yet notice what Paul goes on to say. I'm going to go back to verse 4 and start there. When the kindness of our God and Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we have done. 
We didn't come into a relationship with God and get our lives transformed and changed because we worked for it. That's been the lie of the devil throughout history. That's why many today enter into churches and they, they seek even in their lives to somehow get right with God and be changed and transformed by doing it themselves and by trying to be good enough. You run into a lot of people today and if you get into a spiritual conversation and you can get deep enough with them where it even gets to a point of salvation and rightness with God, a lot of times it ends up, well, I just hope that God weighs my good works and my bad works and that my good works outweigh my bad works. Or I, I hope I get to be somewhere along the line in my life good enough to somehow merit God's love and acceptance. But that's not the message of God, and that's not the strong, clear signal he wants to send out to us. It's that while we were still sinners, Christ loved us. And he loved us as much then as he does now. And he can love us no less than he ever has. And he can love us no more than he ever has. It was noticed, Paul said, on the basis of his mercy. His compassion and desire to help us who were helpless to help ourselves. And how did he do it? He first of all did it, notice in verse 5, through the washing of the new birth. See, we have to be born from above. Every human being is born once, physically, into a family. But if we want to come into a right relationship with God and truly receive and accept this love that he wants to make very strong and clear in our lives, we have to be born again. That's the message of Jesus. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, unless a man or a woman is born from above, born again, he cannot even, she cannot even see the kingdom of God. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. We have to go through a new birth. We have to allow God to, in a sense, recreate our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things begin to pass away. Behold, all things begin to become new. Through the washing of this new birth. Have you been born from above? Jesus said you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you are willing to be born from above and let God come into your life and change and transform your life from the inside out. Reformation is man's idea. It's when men and women in their pride try to somehow change themselves from the outside in. But that never works completely, nor does it ever work eternally. The only thing that can truly transform a human life and work for eternity is the transformation that only God can bring into a life. And then he goes on to say, not only through the washing of the new birth, but through the renewing of the Holy Spirit. The word renewing means a complete renovation for the better. God wants to come into our lives and begin to do an internal renovation. Now, sometimes you and I go through renovation projects as far as maybe our home or something that we own or whatever. It doesn't always turn out 
the way we want it to or the way we plan to or all renovations aren't for the better but the renewing that God does through his Holy Spirit always for our best always to our advantage that's why the Bible says be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of our mind and the Bible teaches us that we need to have our minds renewed every day through the word of God That's why the Bible also says, though our outward man is perishing, dying, the inner man, the real us, can be renewed day by day. Though the outward man, the physical person, may become weaker as the years roll on, the internal person, the real us that will last for eternity, can actually become stronger. This is done through the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Notice verse 6, whom he poured the Holy Spirit out on us in full measure through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's what I tell folks all the time. I remind us as Christians, we didn't just get a little of the Holy Spirit when we became a child of God and when we were born again. We got the Holy Spirit in full measure. It's not that through our Christian life, somehow we've got to figure out how to get more of the Holy Spirit. We got all of God. The problem is when we became a child of God, God didn't necessarily get all of us. So the Christian life is to be lived in spiritual growth and maturity so that as we go through life, we surrender and turn over more of our life to God. Not the other way around. Verse 7. And so since we have been justified by his grace, by his unmerited favor. By the way, the word justified means to be declared right with God. It is even more than being forgiven. As great as forgiveness is, being declared right with God by God is the ultimate. Once you and I have been declared right with God, that can never change. That's why Paul said, having been justified Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. That separation between us and God is gone forever because we've been justified. We've been declared right. And Paul said, those that God justified, he also sanctifies. And those he sanctifies, those he glorifies. He who has begun a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You and I don't have to worry about once we are declared right with God from God's perspective. That never changes, folks. Because at that moment, don't forget, in our justification, back to forgiveness, God forgives our sin, past, present, and future. There's nothing you and I can ever do to change our justification. Now, our fellowship with God Oh, that can change through the years. You may not be as close in fellowship to God, but the relationship can't change because we've been justified. And again, justified not because we became good enough and now we've got to somehow stay good enough or hold on to our salvation or our standing with God because it's never about us. It's by his grace in the first place. We never earned it, so there's nothing we can ever do to keep it. And notice, by this grace, we also became heirs with the confident expectation of eternal life. 
Folks, Paul wants Titus and all those on the island of Crete. And he wants Christians down through the ages to see the passion that God has for people. That we notice in these verses the lengths that God went to to reach out to man and to have a relationship with those he created. He left the glories of heaven. He took upon himself human flesh. He allowed himself to be betrayed and to feel pain and to go through suffering, even the death of the cross. That's how much he loves you, my friend. And God always wants that message of his love for you to be strong and clear in your life. And to get to a point where you don't shove or push his love away because somehow you look at your life and all the mistakes and failures you've made and you begin to count up your sin and go, I don't deserve God's love. Because God would say back to us, I know it. No one deserves my love. I'm not loving you because you earned it. I'm not loving you because you got to deserve it. I love you simply because I'm God. That's my nature. And I want to love you. And I want you to be in a relationship with me. And folks, the reason I started there is because as Christians, as those who have said, I've heard God's voice. I've heard his call. I've accepted his salvation. I've been justified. I've been washed through the new birth. I'm being renewed every day by the Holy Spirit. It is those then that God places the responsibility on of his plan. And here's his plan. His plan is that once people truly have received a signal from him, strong and clear, that we live the rest of our lives sending out that strong, clear signal of who he is to others. That every time we interact with people, that we interact with kindness. Why? Well, because God was kind to us. Verse 4. We act in love because God loves us. We act in mercy because God was merciful to us. And folks, we also act in confident expectation towards others. Why? Because we have the hope that if God's changed our life, that means God can change other lives. That means there's hope for them because there was hope for me. And that's why I can totally look at people differently who may need to change. And that change isn't going to come about except by God. It's not going to be through me trying to manipulate, convince, cajole, twist their arm, make them feel guilty. It's going to come just like it came in our lives when their heart is open to receiving the love of God. Then things change. And the plan then that God has is this. The plan is not that we ever think that by good works, we can enter into a relationship with God. That's been clear. But that after we get that message strong and clear, 
that we live the rest of our days devoted to the priority of our life. The plan of God is to do good works. That's why I want to start actually back in a verse in chapter 2, verse 14. Where Paul says, he gave himself for us to set us free from every kind of lawlessness and to purify for himself a people who are truly is, who are eager to do good. The word eager here means a burning, a passion to do good. See, once I've received God's love, then God expects me to have this burning passion to do good. In other words, to send out a positive, strong, clear signal of who he is to everyone around me. That's why I said last week, we don't have to look for these opportunities. These opportunities to send out a strong, clear signal of God to others is around us every day. It's just whoever we come in contact with. That's why in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities. To be obedient. And here's the next one. To be ready for every good work. The word ready there means to be prepared, to be fit. Let me use this as an illustration. First responders, they have to stay in in a state of fitness. If, If they don't stay in a state of fitness, they may even desire and want to help someone or save somebody from some kind of calamity or crisis. But if they are not fit, they're not able to help. God is saying, I need my people to stay spiritually healthy and fit because there might be people around them who need their help, but if they're not spiritually in a good place, they can't help. In fact, they may be in such a spiritually bad place, they don't even see the people around them because it's all about them. And they don't see the needs around them because they're not in a spiritually healthy place. And how do we stay spiritually fit and healthy? He tells us here in these first two verses. Notice. Subject yourselves to the rulers and authorities that God's placed over you. That means voluntarily arrange yourself under them in order to bring order. To be obedient. This word means willing to follow and be led. So many Christians today want to be the leaders, but nobody wants to follow. Nobody wants to be led. Paul says, you want to stay fit and prepared for God to use you? Then be a good follower. Be willing to be led by others. Isn't that what Jesus even called his own first disciples to do? Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Another way we stay fit, verse 2, don't slander. Don't speak maliciously about anyone. But be peaceable. That's how we stay fit. By not being combative or contentious with other people. But notice, gentle. The word means mild-mannered. Showing complete courtesy. This word not only means to be considerate, it also means to be approachable. How can we send out a strong, clear signal of God's love to others if somehow we we stand aloof and we are not approachable by others? We need to give off a vibe, if you will, as Christians always, that anyone and everyone can approach us. That's how we stay fit. 
Then notice in verse 8, I'm going to jump over there since we already went through verses 3 through 7. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on such truths so that those who've placed their faith in God, here again, may be intent on engaging in good works. You get the pattern and the plan here from God? Verse 14 of chapter 2, those who are eager to do good. Chapter 3, verse 1, be ready for every good work. Now he's calling on Christians to be, in verse 8, intent on engaging in good works. You know what that means? It means giving thoughtful consideration and planning to. Now, there's going to be times in our life where an opportunity to do good is something that was totally unplanned. It just sort of flops into our lap, and there you go. We can do that. But God is saying to us that if you really want to do good, then you've got to give some thought and intent to it. For instance, let me use this as an illustration. If I have a relationship with someone, and I care about them, then, then part of that relationship is going to be to learn about them so that I know what I can do that they would truly appreciate, something that would truly benefit them. Well, that, that takes some thought. That, that takes to do something beforehand. That means instead of it always being about me and thinking about how I want, you know, I start to think, hmm, this person's on my mind. God, help me. What what can I do for them? Give me some ideas, God. And maybe they've given you ideas if you and I have paid attention so that down the road, we can be intent, very intentional, very thoughtful on doing good for them. And then notice verse 14. Here is another way that our people can learn to engage in good works. Now, I'm going to come back to these verses in a minute, but I wanted to pull that verse out because it goes with all the other verses on good works to say this. Here's something else God said. When Christians receive a strong, clear signal about who God is in their life and they truly have received God's love and they're being changed and transformed and all of that by God in their lives and being renewed by the Holy Spirit, and they begin to really have a passion for good works, to do good, not because they know that those good works are going to somehow earn God's love or merit God's love or acceptance or make God more happy with them or something. No, no, no. That's already been settled. Because it's by grace. It's not because of our work. But where they understand that I live to do good now because I have to live the rest of my life to send out a strong, clear signal of God into other people's lives. And so there begins to be this passion, this passion that can only exist when I allow the passion that God has for me to truly be received in my life. And then I get myself, because of this passion, in a place where I want to stay fit where I want to be in a position of spiritual health so whoever I come in contact with, I can benefit them and do good. And where I begin to live such a selfless life that as I engage with other people, I learn about them so that I can do good for them. 
And I learn how I can do good for them and be intent. And then, as I live my life that way, as you live your life that way, as churches live their lives that way, notice what he says in verse 14. In a sense, then we can become an example and model and pattern for other Christians to follow. Literally, good works can be learned, Paul said. That's what he says in verse 14. So that our people can learn to engage in good works. It can be a learned behavior. That's why the Bible says, you walk with fools, you're going to become like a fool. But you walk with the wise, you'll become wise. And you and I get around Christians who get it and who begin to live their lives selflessly for others and to do good to others. Guess what? It catches. Just like negative things can catch like fire. And a little bit of gossip can run its course and do a lot of damage. Just the opposite is true too. You get Christians focused on where they need to be focused and doing what they're supposed to be doing with their lives and that can catch on fire too. And Paul says that's the kind of environment we want to see in those churches on the island of Crete. So that that island can be changed and transformed by the love of God. So that people will truly begin to see who God is and what he's all about. Finally, not only do we see a passion in this chapter, not only do we see a plan of God in this chapter, we see a partnership. And the partnership really begins in verse 8 down through verse 15. And I want you to see this. Paul is saying, if you and I as Christians, or if we in the church are truly going to send out a strong, positive, clear signal of who God is, then we've got to learn to get along with each other, to cooperate with each other, and not to spend time fighting with each other. In fact, what you're going to read in a minute is this. Paul is saying to Titus and to all the leaders and to all the people of these churches on the island of Crete, if you run into people in your sphere, in your church, that are divisive, that all they care about is dividing the body and pushing their own selfish agenda rather than getting on board and willing to follow and be led, Paul says, reject them. Now, that might not seem too loving to you, but that's because we have a warped view of what biblical love is all about. Listen to the words of Paul. I'm going to begin in verse 8. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on such truths so that those who've placed their faith in God may be intent on engaging in good work. These things are good and beneficial for all people. But notice what Paul says next. Avoid. Stay away from. Keep your distance from, as Christians, foolish controversies, genealogies, quarrels and fights about the law. Because they are useless and empty. Paul says, these fightings that that Christians have with each other, and and they're they're more focused on being right and wanting other Christians to somehow make sure that they know that their view is right rather than engaging on good works and sending out a clear signal of who God is. Paul says, in the end, in eternity, 
all those arguments and all that debate amongst you as Christians. And when you as Christians begin to fight amongst each other, rather than staying unified and coming together as one and with one mouth and one voice, glorifying God together and getting out there and doing good every day. He says it's going to end up burning up and being empty. And notice what he says in verse 10. Reject a divisive person after one or two warnings. Someone who comes into the body and seeks to divide Christians from other Christians. Who seeks to push their own agenda. Who is not willing to follow or be led or place themselves under the authorities that God has. But to say, it's got to be my way or the highway and I'm going to cause trouble If you don't see it my way. Here's the thing. If that person was truly being led by the Spirit of God and being renewed, they would know the best way to get things done, if they really do believe in it, is to get on their knees and pray about it. Rather than to seek to divide God's people. Because when that happens, then we start to focus on each other and fighting with each other, rather than focusing on the plan that God has, which is to be eager to do good, to be prepared to do good, to be intent to do good, to learn to do good. We get our eyes off of the goal that God has, and we get mashed up with each other. And Paul said, no, no, no. God wants to see a partnership with his people. That's why he says, reject the divisive person after one or two warnings. You know that such a person is twisted by sin and is even conscious of it himself. Wow, that's a sad commentary. Down deep, they know they're really miserable. They never admit it to anyone else, but the reason that they are the way they are, and they talk about people so critically and they put other Christians down and they're always divisive and causing schisms and divisions in the body is because they're miserable themselves. And Paul said they know it. That's how twisted it is. Here's the way it's supposed to work. Verse 12. When I send Artemis to Tychicus and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. Start to see how we're supposed to be partners together and help each other out. For I've decided to spend the winter there. Make every effort to help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way, and make sure they have what they need. See the cooperation? See the Christians coming together? Instead of it being about them, it's about what can I do to help my brother and sister in Christ so we can come together and we can do good and we can show the world around us the love of God loud, strong, and clear. That's why he says in verse 14 in the context, this is another way that our people can learn to engage in good work by seeing the way other Christians cooperate with each other and live in unity with each other and get along with each other instead of being divided with each other. And then he says, our people can learn to engage in good works to meet pressing needs and so not to be unfruitful. Notice again the partnership in the very last verse. Everyone with me greets you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Paul said that's the way it's supposed to work. Not getting involved in arguments and disputes and debates and fights. 
That's exactly what Satan wants. And somehow then, when God's people begin to fight amongst themselves, the love of God for them, for others, totally gets lost in translation. The signal gets corrupted. It gets diluted. It even gets completely cut off to where people go, what's God all about if that's the way his people act with each other? That's why Jesus said, if, if you want to send out a strong, clear signal of who I am to the world, it's by this, by all men will know that you're my disciples because of the love you have for each other. So in just a moment, we're going to partake of the bread and the cup, which symbolizes Christ's body and Christ's blood. And as you go back to that table and you grab those elements, I want you to think today about God's love for you. Because how can we come to remember what Jesus did for us without truly encountering how much God loves us. And I I just want to ask today, I don't want to take this for granted. If you're here today and you've never really received God's love, for whatever reason, would you be willing today to say, wow, I, I never really knew God thought of me like that. I never really understood the lengths that God would go to to have a relationship with me. I don't even know why God would do that. I don't know why God would care. He cares because you are a wonderful creation of His. And He has a special connection with you. And He wants you to have that special connection with Him. But that only comes through the new birth. That only comes when we acknowledge our need of God. And where we say, yes, God, I know I don't deserve your love. I know there's no way I could ever earn your love. But I'm hearing this signal from you strong and clear today. I know you love me. And that your love is the greatest love I ever will or ever could experience. And instead of continuing to push and reject your love, I'm going to welcome your love today into my life. I'm going to embrace your love today. I'm going to receive your love. And when that happens, I guarantee you, your life will never be the same. And when you begin to receive God's love, you and I will begin to send out a strong, clear, and positive signal of who God is to others. Here at the Oasis, as you go back and get the elements, and these folks are going to come in just a moment and dismiss you, we just ask that you keep those elements with you until everyone has been served, until the song has been sung, and then we'll come out and we will partake of the Lord's table together as a church family.